Would you remain standing as we hear the word of God from Matthew chapter 3? Reach down, grab your Bibles, turn with us to Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the very word of God. Have you ever got a letter or email from someone um, that you hadn't heard from in a long time? I love some of the social media because um, it can make some connections that I would have thought would not be possible. But hearing from one, I heard from a person in the very first community I was ever a part of. Uh, we lived together in Eagle Rock, California. And uh, Men downstairs, women upstairs. There's apartments in the back for married couples. It was a community called Bet El Shaddai, the house of the Almighty God. And, and we worshiped together and lived together and kind of lost touch with some of those people. And one of them made contact this last week and, and said, I'm, I'm going old school. I'm sending Christmas cards. What's your, what's your address? And it was so good to hear from him. You know, it's kind of poignant to a certain extent because it made me think about if I could hear from anyone, you know, who would that be? And, um, and it dawned on me that I still have this, um, this grandfather uh, need. Um, I recognize that when Harold DeVille has passed away, he kind of grandfathered me here uh, for the first 17, 18 years that I was here. But I never met my grandfather, my real grandfather on my father's side. Actually, I never, I've met once my grandfather on my mother's side. But um, my grandfather on my father's side uh, was an ama- apparently an amazing man. In the midst of the Depression, uh, a big bear of a man started a refrigerator business, 
began working for Phelps Dodge Copper Company in a little mining town of Ajo, Arizona. And eventually he had 50 or 60 um, refrigerators out there that he was renting. And, uh, and, and he didn't have a dolly. He would just pick those suckers up and move them onto his truck uh, by himself. But he died in a plane crash a couple of years, several years before I was born. And so I never had a chance to meet him. And I always wondered, what would he be like? What would he say to me? You know, how could I understand my dad in, in light of him? And it dawned on me as I was thinking about friends who made contact after a long period of time, that that's one guy I would love to hear from. And you know... Um, if I were to suddenly have in my possession a letter from Grandpa Ed Mills, do you think that I would not read that thing? Do you think that I would not cherish every single word? I'm not sure if it's all the maybe even false hopes I have on who he was as a man um, or whether just the length of time that I'd not heard anything, ever received a message addressed to me from him, I'm not sure. But I do know this, that were I suddenly to find one, were he to an amazing insight to have written letters to his grandchildren, not yet to be, I would cherish every single word of it. I would cherish every single word of it. And that makes me think about where we are this Advent. Do you remember, if you've been with us over the last couple of months, that we have been exploring together as God, after 70 years in exile, brought his people back and they struggled to reconstruct not just a temple and not just the walls of Jerusalem, but they struggled to reconstruct community, to reconstruct the people of God. And and both Ezra and Nehemiah literally, I kid you not, literally were pulling their hair out, trying, trying to to create this community that they knew God wanted to have. And when we last saw them, it was about 400 B.C. And, and they entered into a period of time, we don't really have a name for it, the intertestamental period, but this, this period of time where not a soul heard a fresh word from the Lord. Not one. Now, it would be hard if, if I didn't hear from Karen. Sometimes if I don't hear from her for four or five hours, I start to wonder. Is she partying without me? You know, I start to wonder. What's, what's going on? Imagine if all of a sudden now that was not four hours but four days. Then, then I would be very alarmed. Now imagine if it was not you hadn't heard from someone you really loved in four years or 40 years. Now imagine 400 years of not hearing a word from the Lord. Keep your Bible, keep your finger in Matthew 3 for a second, but turn back with me, would you, just a couple of pages to the last book of the, of the uh, Old Testament. Oh, that was in Isaiah, that didn't help. Um, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. And turn, and Malachi is an amazing book, but... But turn with me, would you, to, um, to the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, Malachi prophesied, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. 
The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will not leave them neither root nor branch. But, but, for you who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. For 400 years they held on to that sentence. The Son will rise with healing in its wings. And, and you... You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rule that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And look here. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I will send you Elijah. Now turn back with me to Matthew chapter 3, would you? Because on this day when we lit the prophecy candle, when we remember that God foretells us, He tells us ahead of time what He's going to do, we pick up this amazing story of God's redemption in Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me read one more line. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Wow. Amos, also a minor prophet, prophesying about this intertestamental period, said, There's a day coming, beloved, that will be a famine. Not a famine for food, Amos 8.11, but a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. And Amos prophesied that there would be this period of time when people did not hear God's voice, when they they didn't sense his leadership. Yes, they still had the scriptures. They still had what we know of as the Old Testament, and they, I'm sure, relied to it. They relied on it. They went back again and again, searching it. God, why are, have you forsaken us? Why have you abandoned us? Why are you not speaking and leading us now? And, and, and the last word that they had from him was, I will send you Elijah. I will send you Elijah. Now keep your finger there for just a second and turn with me over to Matthew chapter 11, a couple pages to the right, or a couple of clicks on your, on your phone to the right here. The passage actually began earlier, and it's beautiful, and I commend it to you, but pick it up with me in Matthew 11, verse 7. As the people went away, because they were offended by Jesus, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? No, we can relate, right? Soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing 
are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For in the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has suffered violence and the violent have taken the kingdom of God by force. For all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John. Look at this. And if you are willing to accept it, this is Jesus speaking. If you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. And Jesus uses this code word for saying, do not miss this. His code for that is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Well, I want to think with you about uh, prophecy. I want to think with you especially about John the Baptist today. I'm going to do it. I've already really begun thinking about the amazing um, uh, message that John the Baptist is bringing. Um, God is speaking still through his word. He's breaking his code of silence. He's speaking into our lives today, just like he was speaking into the lives of those people in the first century. We've talked a little bit already. You might kind of divide your thoughts if you're taking notes in three ways. The ministry of John the Baptist, the man, John the Baptist, and the message of John the Baptist. We don't know because we're not told, but you remember that John the Baptist was was related to Jesus. He was Jesus' cousin. And in fact, already God had powerfully used his life. When when we'll see next week, uh, two weeks, God spoke to Mary and told her that she would bear the Christ child. Uh, She responded with amazing faith. uh, May be done to me, as you have said. But then God gifted her with this ability to go and visit her cousin, who was way beyond childbearing years. And and, and he said, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. And in her sixth month, and, and, and Mary went and visited. And when she spoke, when she saw Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt. Now, I can't relate to this. I have no idea what that means. But many of you do, don't you? You've gotten your slats kicked out by babies in your womb. You know what I'm talking about. Um, that was John the Baptist. That was John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb already celebrating the fact that his Savior, his Lord was coming into the world represented in this child that Mary was carrying, this child of the Holy Spirit. So, so um, John's ministry has begun already 30 years Earlier, But we don't know what happened in between. All we know is that when we meet him again, he's living in the wilderness and and he is uh, he's dressed in camel hair and eating locusts. What is that? Grasshoppers, right? As a former grasshopper, he's eating grasshoppers, grasshoppers. Our study groups earlier today realized that that's a lot of protein and and eating honey, a lot of carbs, right? He's eating protein and honey, dressed in camel hair and wearing a leather belt around his, his waist. Camel hair, as you could imagine, would not be comfortable to wear, right? 
And why is he wearing camel hair? Because that's all that he can find. Rubbed up against bushes out there, there might be these little tufts of camel hair. And he would take those and weave them into this vestment and wear that. And every move that he made would be reminding him that he was not in the king's household, that he was not wearing soft clothing. Um, but it was so much more than that. Uh, we're told in, in 2 Kings 1.8 that, that there was someone else who wore a camel hair vestment, that there was someone else who wore a leather belt around his waist. And his name was, I said it wrong in the bulletin this morning, I apologize, it's not Elisha, but Elijah. You guys caught that. It was Elijah. God has taken four hundred more than that. God has taken eight hundred years later and fulfilled his promise. The ministry of John the Baptist is the ministry of Elijah, the prophet. Not everyone's able to receive that. Jesus recognized that. He said, If you're able to receive this, Elisha, Elijah, excuse me, has come. John the Baptist has come. He's the messenger preparing the way. He is, he's a man just like anybody else, but he is a man who, who loved the Lord and surrendered his life to the Lord's purpose for him, even when it didn't make sense. I'm assuming that the Lord is the one that sent him out there, that the Lord is the one that put him. Can you imagine what, what from a human perspective, he must have been thinking, God, I thought you were going to provide for me. I, I, I thought that you were trustworthy. And here I am in the middle of nowhere with nothing to eat and, and no clothes to wear. Um, what are you doing? And I know that you've been there. I know that you have faced circumstances in your life where you're saying, what are you doing, God? I do not understand it. Many of you are in those circumstances right now. You do not understand what God is doing. Comfort, beloved. Comfort. Even when you don't understand what God is doing, God understands what he's doing. And it might not make sense to you right now, but one day when you stand with him in glory... It will make amazing sense. And I'm not trying to equate us with John the Baptist, although Jesus did. I don't want to do that because I say, who am I to compare myself to John the Baptist? But Jesus said something amazing. Did you hear it? Did you hear what Jesus said? Among men born of women, there is no one greater, but, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. We've got to look at this guy. We've got to look at this guy. John the Baptist didn't understand what God was doing, but because he was faithful in the midst of not understanding, because he trusted God in the midst of not understanding, God used him to prepare the way. Did he do it perfectly? No. We don't have time today, but, but at one point in his ministry, well, actually it was this point, Matthew 11, we didn't read that part, but John wasn't sure that Jesus was the Messiah. Because Jesus didn't act like John thought he should. Uh, and and I, I've had that same conversation with Jesus a few times. Uh, and, and so John sent a message in the first verses of Matthew chapter 11. He says, are you really the one? And that, that beautiful, that kind and beautiful response of Jesus. Oh, tell, tell John what's happening. The blind are regaining their sight. The, the, the imprisoned are being set free. Tell him what you see. And John will understand. And then Jesus gives us these words. Oh, John's a great man. On earth, there's no one greater. And there's a lot of great people on earth. But you, 
beloved. When Christ is in you, the least of us in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than John the Baptist, Jesus says. Absolutely astounding. Absolutely astounding. So what was John the Baptist's role? It's so beautiful to see. I want you to catch it real quick. Just jot these down underneath there. Did you you see how how he came? He lived very simply. And there's a message for us, and I'm not going to harp on it. There's There's a message in that. John just lived simply before God, trusting that God would simply use his life to bless other people. And, and, and there's a message in there for us. But God, excuse me, John the Baptist also served humbly. Did you see? There's one coming after me, he said. So he's got this amazing message. For the first time in 400 years, God is speaking. He's got this amazing message. But he says, there's, this is not even the most important thing. There's one coming after me. Who's, the thong of whose sandal I'm unworthy to untie. The, the life of John the Baptist was one who constantly uh, lifted up Jesus Christ and made himself less. It was encapsulated. I referred to it early in John 3.30 when he said, uh, he must increase. When his disciples said, Jesus is doing more baptizing than you are, John. He said, that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus is supposed to be lifted up, not me. He must increase and I must decrease. He, he lived simply. He served humbly, but he spoke boldly. He spoke boldly. And I'm just like you. You might think because I, I speak all the time that, that it's easy for me to do. It's not. I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I have enough trouble just witnessing to the waitress in the restaurant. I'm much less speak words like John the Baptist was speaking. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But God, through his Holy Spirit, gave him the power to speak what was true to speak about that which he knew. And beloved, there's a word for us in that. The kingdom advances when people boldly speak of what they know to be true. There's an amazing ministry of John the Baptist. He's an amazing man. But I want to look especially today at the message that he gave. Because in a very real sense, we are exactly like. Our culture today is like that first century. You and I, to a certain extent, are very much like, uh, like John the Baptist. Did you see who came to visit him? Certainly. Certainly the broken from all over Judea were coming out to the wilderness. And John was baptizing them, uh, saying, you can begin again right here. But also, some of the religious leaders came. It went by kind of fast as she was reading it. But, but it's interesting that two types of people, religious leaders, let me, let me say it differently, two types of religious people came out to him, right? The arch conservatives, right? The arch conservatives came out, the Pharisees, and, and, and also the, uh, the, the extreme liberals came out to, to him as well. The people who were so self-righteous that they judged everyone else in light of their own righteousness, but also the people who wanted so bad to be successful in the culture that they compromised everything that they believed so that they could fit in. The Sadducees came out as well. It's, it's fun hearing her, her beautiful little voice try and be vindictive. <laughs> this doesn't work for you, Beth. I'm sorry. <laughs> you brood of snakes. 
<laughs> oh my goodness, he had strong, strong words for them, right? And, and many of us need to hear those strong words because many of us are trusting in our own righteousness right now. Oh yeah, we can say all the right words, we can say all the good things, but when push comes to shove, in our minds we're kind of saying, see all the good things I do for you, God? You must need to bless me because I'm such a good servant of yours. And many others of us are trusting in our success. We've been successful in the world. We've been successful in relationships. We've been successful in our families. And and without realizing it, we started to put our weight down on those temporary and visible signs of success. And John the Baptist's message comes to us with power. Two simple components of his message. Repent, right? Repent. What is that? Well, we know our Sunday school answer is repentance is that change of mind which leads to a change of will, which leads to a change of actions, right? We understand that it's moving from something in which we put our trust to something else. But especially, John the Baptist invites us to speak it. Repentance includes not just the conviction that we need repentance, but but the confession to God that we need him. David is such an excellent example of this. His heart was so hardened by the whole Uriah and Bathsheba experience. that he had, He's blind. He was blind to his own brokenness. And it didn't help that he was king and everyone was giving him adulation all the time. It didn't help that he was so successful. But he was blind to that. And when Nathan spoke those words, you are the man, you are the one who deserves death, David, his heart broke. And he said something in Psalm 51 that was astounding to me. It took me a long time to get over it because I'm thinking about Bathsheba and I'm thinking about Uriah. But he said, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. And I'm thinking, what about but David realized something before, Ed, before my sin against you is against you. It's against God who made you and created you and formed you and called you precious in his eyes. And David got that. He had the conviction that it was God's heart that had broken. And, 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 he, and he, he was able to verbalize, to speak his brokenness. And, and repentance includes those things. It includes the conviction, it includes the confession. It includes the contrition. God, it's you that I've sinned against. Before anyone else, and I've certainly wounded other people, I've broken your heart, God. There is this message, repent. And it's not just a message for those who don't know Jesus. It's not just a message for those who who one time when they were 13 prayed a prayer. It's a message for each of us every, every day. It's a message for the Pharisees, for the Sadducees. It's a message for the broken. It's a message for the proud. It's a message that speaks into us here today. And beloved, as we come to the Lord's table today, we desperately need to remember that. In the quietness of our, of our worship, just allow God's Holy Spirit, invite Him. God, if there's anything in my life still unsurrendered to You, Bring it to the surface. I know there's no judgment or condemnation in you, Jesus. Bring it to the surface so that I can confess it. So that I can turn it over to you.
Repent. But also renounce. How many times, like me, have you, have you come to that place where um, you're repenting again of the sins that you repented for yesterday and the day before and the year before that and the year before that? I don't hear this often in, in our encouragement to one another. We hear repent quite often. We don't hear renounce. Leave it behind. As John the Baptist left behind his culture, he left behind the acceptance of the religious people of his day. He left behind all those things and followed God out into the wilderness. I invite you to leave those things behind which are distracting you from the message of God in your life. Renounce it. To renounce is simply to die to. I love the symbolic nature of baptism that, that we, are, we are buried with Christ and raised with Christ. We die to these things. We renounce them. I'm trying to think of something socially acceptable to say to you. Um, my materialism, God, I die to that. I die to that. I renounce that. No longer am I going to live for the things that I want. And my Christmas list is long. God, I don't want to live for you instead. No longer am I going to live to satisfy my own desires. I'm going to live for you. I renounce those things. God, in Jesus' name. And then lastly, the kingdom of heaven is near. There's a parallel reality going on for us right now. Many of you have tasted of it. Many of you have entered into it, but many have not. You see, our life is a continuum, isn't it? A beginning point, and, and one day, uh, should the Lord tarry, an ending point. And we try and make the best of everything in between. But on a different scale, there is another reality. And this, this line goes to infinity, that direction. And this reality goes to infinity, that direction. And that kingdom of heaven, that kingdom of God entered into our world when Jesus Christ came into the world. And we, conversely, can enter into that kingdom of heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ. By confessing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can right now live in these parallel worlds, the world of our Kronos and the world of His Kairos, the kingdom of God. We can live in that world and that's a wonderful place to live. But you've got to receive it. You've got to believe that that's why Christ came. You've got to take that bridge. You've got to open that door. You have to take the path that Christ has offered you. So as we come to the Lord's table today, I invite you to repent. If the Holy Spirit has, has laid something on your heart, something you need to, 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 uh, to leave behind, repent of it. Have a change of mind which leads to a change of will. I'm no longer going to submit to that slavery, which leads to a change of action. It will be visible in your life. Renounce the brokenness and receive the love of God. Receive the kingdom of God and live by faith in that kingdom. These holy days, beloved, if we're able to do that, then our lives, because Christ is in us, will become a bridge for someone who desperately needs, some Korean student who desperately needs to know that there's hope out there.
I was struck as you were sharing, Vasily, because one of my first experiences um, with internationals at university at UCLA was offering a Bible study my second year. I was a sophomore, and we prayed that God would bring some people to our Bible study, and 60 people showed up. And we had no clue what to do. And so we did a, we did a stupid human question. Uh, I call stupid human questions little crowd-breaker questions. Um, so what do you hope to get out of this Bible study? Can you tell I was scrambling? And, and one Jin Suno says, I want to become a Christian. I want to have a relationship with Christ. I'm going, okay then. <laughs> That's pretty clear, God. There's people all around you. They're saying, I, I want to know this joy. Tell me. More than that, show me. Show me how. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. Thank you that, that you offered that before we were ever aware. And, and God, in mercy, you granted us that mustard seed of faith to put our weight down. But God, where you've called us today to a much more radical Christian lifestyle, you've called us to live simply. You've called us, God, to serve humbly. And, 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 and God, you've asked us to speak boldly of this grace, which is Jesus Christ. We can't do this, God, on our own. We know that you live in us through faith in Jesus Christ, but now, God, I pray you take the simple bread and the simple juice and make them the sacrament. Make them the kairos of God. Puncture, God, our Sunday morning. Puncture it with your presence and grant through these elements literal spiritual grace for our time of need. So that, God, as we go back out into the world, the light of Christ might shine through us. So we might find voice to shout it from the mountaintops that he is God. And we love you, God. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, our servers, please come forward. Again, we have this immense privilege today of sharing in the very spiritual presence of Jesus Christ He is in this bread. He is in this juice. As you, in obedience, surrender to him and and partake of this, his provision for you. Come on in, you guys, you're all right. As you surrender to that, then then we know that, um, that grace will be yours through Jesus Christ. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Oh God, you've been so gracious to us. You've granted us physical bread to sustain us. But we know, God, that man does not live by bread alone. We know that we need you, the very word of God. Take this simple bread and make it the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, I ask in Jesus' name. After supper... He took the cup, the cup of redemption, and and basically said, no longer do we look for Elijah because Elijah has come. This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In other words, when you by faith drink this, remembering Jesus Christ, grace becomes Yours. God, thank you for your blood. Thank you that you took our sins upon yourself. 
You lived a life that we couldn't live and you died the death that we deserved and you broke the power of sin, disease, and even death over us. Glory to you, Jesus. Be present even now in this juice we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Again, if you are at that place where you have trusted Christ as your Savior, I invite you in Jesus' name, come to the table of the Lord. Actually, it will come to you, but I invite you to partake. The bread is his gift to you. Remember him in it. And the cup is his gift to us today. I invite you to hold the cup until all have been served.